friends and fellow Buffy lovers, and welcome to our podcast, where we discuss each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in detail, focusing on digging deep into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing. I'm Leah. I'm Sarah. I'm Tabby. And this is Becoming Buffy. Hey guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we are talking about Reptile Boy. This episode, I feel like, has some really good deep themes yeah. and some like amazing moments. But once again, the monster of the week is super underwhelming for me. I feel like this episode kind of flows under the radar for me in a like, not in a bad way. Like, I always forget about it. And then I, I read the name of it and I'm like, Oh, it's going to be another campy one. And then I rewatch it and I'm actually like, oh, I like this episode. The balance between like good, heavy theme and like lighthearted, buffy style is really, really well done. And I feel like this episode is just, it's a really good watch. Yeah. It's like, okay, let's tackle a really hard theme. And then in the process, we're going to make it really light. I I mean, besides the actual reptile boy at the end of the episode, I think that the actual like monster of the week, um, I personally like because I think that it's hard to watch, especially some certain scenes. But a lot of girls go through this and much worse. Yeah. Just minus um, the... Obviously, minus the huge The giant reptile, reptile dude. Yeah. Like, obviously, maybe not to this extreme. I mean, some people do, but like a lot of girls go through this and I think it's really important that they like talked about it in an episode, but yeah, I don't know. It, it kind of like has some great Willow quotes in this episode, um, has some great Gile yeah. moments. It's overall just funny. Like I found myself just kind of like certain things would happen that I forget about and I was like audibly laughing. I was just yeah. like, that's really funny. Like I forgot <laughs> about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's got, like we said, some heavy themes, but I think it handles those well. And the moments that are funny aren't meant to kind of like take away from that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they add a little bit of um, just humor to what could be a really, really dark mm -hmm. episode, you know? Yeah. It has great balance. Yep, absolutely. Um, but before we do get any deeper into the episode, we do just want to warn you guys, this is a non-spoiler section, so we will not be saying any spoilers. We will only be talking about everything in this episode. But later on in the episode, we do have our Scooby secret section, which is everything spoilers. So if you enjoy spoilers and you're excited for that, then make sure to stick around for that section. Um, but we'll be very clear in when that section does come. If not, we'll see you next week for... Yeah. Halloween. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's get into it. Season two, episode five, which I can't believe we're already on episode five. I was like thinking about that because like I feel like I think a part of that is that the first season for us recording wise spread the span of like months because we started recording and then we were figuring out the whole podcast thing and then a bunch of episodes you know, got jumbled or deleted or just were not good. So we had to redo them. And so I feel like the first season was very spread out for us. But it's just so exciting. We're getting in the good stuff. Yeah, I'm just excited to be able to have less stuff to talk about in the spoiler section and more stuff to talk about in the spoiler-free yeah. section. Yeah, it's been like so stressful going through like the non-spoiler section because I'm like, oh my gosh, we haven't even gone to like some major points yet. Yeah, I know. And we still have so much to go. Yep. Don't worry for all of you who are like, oh no, their spoiler section doesn't have any. Trust me, we have seven seasons worth. Well, I guess six now, but... Six seasons worth of spoiler stuff to talk about. So 
don't worry. We'll have plenty to talk about there for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Reptile Boy was actually written and directed by David Greenwalt, who we've talked about, who is the co-producer of Buffy. And he's technically considered the second man when it comes to leading the show and stuff. Like Joss is obviously the leader. But um, David probably knows almost as much as Joss does when it comes to what's going to happen later on down the line and storylines and stuff like that. So I think it's really interesting that he's one of the only people who's actually written and directed an episode, you know? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. He's created already so many episodes and I know that he creates a bunch in the future. Yeah. He actually, so I was reading into him a little bit and he was working on X-Files and he left X-Files to work on Buffy. Which is crazy because X-Files is iconic. And the fact that he saw something special in the Buffy pilot says a lot. Yeah, especially to leave an established show for something that, you know, one already had a bad rap because of the movie. Yeah. But two, also just based on a pilot speaks a lot, I think, to his belief in the show. But also came halfway through like the recording like season too. And it was like a replacement for a show that was like canceled. So that's wild. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to read real fast. He was interviewed and they asked of all the hats you wear in the show, which is your favorite? And he said, always the writer writing the story is the very hardest thing to do, but in a sense, the most satisfying. A lot of people who want to be writers make a mistake. Writing is not putting words on paper. Writing is understanding the way the character is, what they are, what the heart of the story is and where you want to be at the end of the story, laying it out. That is hard work. The writing is also challenging, but kind of fun. So that's my very favorite thing. The next thing is directing and editing. And so then they asked, do you have a favorite moment from your tenure with the series? And he says, probably when I directed Reptile Boy, where Buffy is dancing with the frat boy who turned out to be evil. And he said, it was a nice moment with Tom. And I had all these fancy ideas and how to shoot this thing. And Sarah came in and said, this is really hard to choreograph. Just let us dance. Let us just shoot it and just let us dance and move and watch what happens. Sure enough, it just happened. And it was great just watching two people relate and dance. And I didn't do anything so terribly fancy showing off with the camera. And he says, you have these moments on set. If you're lucky, you maybe get one day or one every few days where you go, this feels true. This feels honest. And it just feels right. And so I think it's just interesting that he talks about how they have a lot of faith and trust in the actors them and actresses themselves. And I know Joss has talked about this and even like um, some of the cameramen, how you know, and it says a lot for Sarah Michelle Geller that she is intuitive enough to say, hey, like this can be simplified and made so much better if you just trust us, trust us actors to um, to do what you want us to do on film, you yeah. know? And I think that not only does that speak volumes to like Sarah Michelle Geller, just because I feel like it's one thing to be an actor and to do what you're told on the script. It's another to be able to like step back and be like, hmm, what would be best for this scene above the director? Um, but I also just think that that really speaks to David Grimal and Joss Whedon, that they listened to their actors, that they took into consideration what they had because they knew that they cared about the characters and they had kind of an insight that they couldn't have. Um, because I think it's it's super important to pick people that, you know, you really think fit the, the part and that also are going to care about the part because I think a lot of times people will just pick an actor because they're big or because like they are going to get views and they kind of skip over 
maybe some talent. And so I think it's really important to get people that like you really believe are talented and that can really carry that part. Yeah. A lot of the writers had talked about a lot of the actors and said that they really just kind of held their character out with like open arms and being like, you know what, like understand my character and this is where I want them to go and just been really vulnerable with that. And like Sarah Michelle Gellar, like really just believed in the character of Buffy so much that she was like, hey, like I see this character going in this way and voiced her opinions. And that's really awesome that they had that like mutual respect where they could talk about it. I think that's what made Buffy so great or like part of what made Buffy so great was the fact that everybody worked together and everybody cared so much about having the story out there, having this message out there and seeing where these characters were going versus, oh, hey, I want to have awards or I want accolade or whatever. It just really felt like people were genuine, including Joss, and were willing to listen to what other people had to say. And because you had so many people that um, cared about these characters and gave their input, it made for some really realistic characters. Yeah. So written and directed by David Greenwald, aired October 13th, 1997. Um, We enter into Buffy's room, and I feel like this beginning of this episode is very similar to a Friends episode because they're sitting there and they're watching this, this person who's speaking Hindi and they can't tell what she's saying. And so they're trying to translate what she says. And I feel like I've seen Chandler and Joey do that on Friends sometimes. I just like it. I like seeing them as a group. And I think that it makes it feel more real when not every single scene they're having to like have a deep discussion or fight or whatever. Like it's cute just seeing them all hang out because I think that sometimes we need to be reminded that they're friends and not just like a fighting group. Yeah, that is true. And then we get like rare moments of this. Like they're all sitting on the bed and like both Xander and Buffy are braiding Willow's hair. I know. <laughs> well, and I think um, Buffy even has a line where she says like, I like all of us just hanging out and not having to worry about the supernatural stuff. Obviously, that's me paraphrasing because I don't remember the exact quote. There's like less demons the past few days. So yeah. you can tell that there's like less stress mm-hmm. on all of them. And they're able to have kind of a night in when they're able to be just friends. Yeah, it's very sweet. Yeah, and I always love whenever we see Buffy's room because I always feel like that's kind of her inner sanctuary and her special place where she goes when she wants to be alone or wherever. And I think that it's – you get to see a unique insight into who Buffy is by being in her room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right, so they're watching a Hindi film. And it's really interesting that they are watching this because in Indian mythology, they have these things called Nagas. I'm probably saying it wrong, N-A-G-A-S. And they're half human and half snake serpents. And they're believed to live underground and are bringers of fertility. Oh, my word. Ah, This show. A little on the nose. There's a purpose for that. My goodness. But it's also funny too because I can't tell if they're watching a music video or if they're actually watching a film because that was something you would do in the 90s. You would just channel surf until you could find something and then you would be like, oh, hey, a music video is on. Then you would watch that, you know? (laughs) It's weird. And then Buffy's like, that's her lover? I thought that was her chiropractor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then Willow's like, oh, because of the thing he did with her feet? No, that was personal. (laughs) I know. And I love that Xander is like, it's all going completely over his head. He's like, what is happening? What's going on? And Willow's like deeply invested. It's very sweet, like seeing uh, Xander just kind of like going along with what like Willow and Buffy want to do. He's like, Okay, I'll even braiding yeah, her hair. Like, I'll braid Willow's hair. Oh, it's a movie. Like it's just it's very sweet. Uh yeah. And I okay, I will say, even though we always talk about this when it comes to Xander, but a lot of the stuff that he did in this episode, I was like, oh, I'm actually like, 
I was really impressed by a lot that he did. Yeah, I feel like we're starting to see growth in Xander in little ways. Obviously, he's not going to be a completely different person overnight, but I don't think we would believe that if he was. We're starting to see little things that are changing. I actually, I thought it was really interesting in this episode, and I'll talk about it when we get there, but um, we kind of saw a little insight into Xander's like bitterness towards people who have wealth and status. Yeah. And I think that that may have something to kind of do with his character that he kind of has always felt a little lowly and a little bit like below people, whether that be from wealth or status. And I think that you really see it multiple times in this episode where he's very bitter about it, which is fair. Like anytime he feels like he's an outsider, he gets bitter. And so whether that's be that's in the group with everyone, like in the gang, or when it comes to being in school, like with um social status, I just think like any opportunity where he feels like he's an outsider, it kind of triggers a lot of feelings. Yeah. And it may honestly just come down to the fact that Xander really doesn't like a bully, which is completely fair. Yeah, I could see Xander not liking a bully because he is actually very brave. I think he's exemplified that. And so even though sometimes he's condescending and he tends to kind of get into people's business, he, I don't really see him as a bully. Um, And that's interesting that you mentioned that, Leah, because I didn't see him as very bitter in this episode at all. I saw him more like it being constantly pointed out to him that he was not one of those people that has wealth and status and money. Like Cordelia mentioned almost every time she saw him, you saw even, I mean, Willow wasn't being mean at all, but she talks about how they both collectively don't have the wealth and status that these guys do. And then the fact that he, I mean, we'll talk about this, but he got made fun of in the frat house, you know? So I don't think he's bitter, but I think that he probably feels insecure about it. I wouldn't, I'm not trying to say that he's bitter like in a negative way, like saying like, oh, he's so bitter. He needs to get over this. You know, he's a bitter person. I think that it's just you can tell that this is a sore subject for him. It is being thrown in his face so much in this episode. He's become very bitter by the end of the episode about it Um, because you you see when the first time that he's made fun of by it, I think Cordelia is the first person who makes fun of him in the beginning of the episode. He just kind of goes quiet, like his feelings are hurt, and he just kind of steps aside. But later on in the episode, you kind of start to see it build up more and more to the point where he's like, I'm not going to sit here and pout. Like, I'm going to say something about it. And he becomes more like kind of aggressive with it, which is fair. Like, it builds up and he gets angry. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, of course, Buffy has to say, oh, there's no demons tonight. It's been really quiet in Sunnydale. And then they go to the frat house or they go to the frat house. We cut to the frat house and a girl breaks some glass, jumps over the ledge, runs through the forest, acts like she's being chased, jumps over the wall, which this always cracks me up because they make it seem like she's running really far to get to the cemetery. But the cemetery that she jumps into, that wall is actually what separates the Buffy lot from the rest of the lot that the, in the studio that they were shooting at. And she jumps into the cemetery that they built. So it's just interesting how like once you know that that's a man-made cemetery and there's literally like a parking – that used to be a parking lot – it's just really cool and clever how they did the camera angles because you would never know when you're just watching yeah. it. But then, I don't know, it gives an interesting perspective yeah. when you go back and, and watch it. The whole it. scene is just very horror-ish. I think mm-hmm. I've seen like probably a thousand scenes in horror movies that look very similar to this where you have one single girl running and 
either one man or multiple people are chasing her into the woods or graveyard or whatever. The it 90s is. love doing that with horror movies or like TV shows. So there's yep. lots of chasing scenes. It's one of those I've seen this so many times in horror movies where she's like looking behind her while she's running and then she runs right into somebody. And he's like, Callie, where are you going? Party's just getting started. So creepy. <laughs> Which is an interesting choice of words. And I also think it's interesting that he. Like obviously she has no shame about what he's doing because everybody has like their hoods covering their faces, but his is completely off. Like he doesn't care if she sees him. He pretty bold. I think it's also just he has no fear of getting caught. You kind of see this theme running throughout the whole episode is just kind of like making a mockery of like fraternity culture and like how, the, you know, can be kind of cultish and they kind of took it to obviously the extreme. Um, but I think that it's that idea of like, he really feels like he's king of the mountain and that no one's going to snitch on him. No one's going to say anything like he doesn't care. I kind of see it as a power thing, too. Like when he has his hood off, he's surrounded by all the other guys and her. So he kind of wants to seem like he's the big bad. And then when they carry her away, he looks around and then puts his hood back on. Yeah, this whole episode, I mean, it's, you know, a theme for toxic masculinity, but it's very hard with a not to get all like feministic here, but it's a lot of times in like rape culture or even like uh, fraternities or just even in like the business world and stuff, you often have um, the rich and powerful who all gang together and cover for each other and lie for each yeah. other and cheat and all that stuff. And it becomes this very hard thing to break into because if you're if you're wealthy, then you can pay and or you can buy off people. Um, and so I think this is supposed to be kind of a metaphor for that and how they feel like they can abuse and use women or people who are like Xander, who are very vulnerable or um, insecure. And so I think it's just, it's a really deep metaphor when you dive into it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, it's kind of scary because it's like this huge group of guys and kind of like what you're saying, Sarah, someone can do something and um, the other guys won't say anything about it. It's kind of like yeah, this right. unknown thing or unspoken thing where they're like, well, you can do what you want to do. And if we're buddies, like I'm going to cover for you. Yeah. Which, it takes such right. a, like a pure and good idea of like, oh, I got your back, like right. loyalty and take this, this awful and corrupt like end of like, no matter what, you no do. matter what you do, mm -hmm. I'm not going to hold you accountable. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to like care about other people. It's, you know, it's us against the world type of thing, which is very um, creepy. Scary. It's selfish. It's everything. And it's just is very, very disgusting when it's taken to an extreme. Yeah. Well, ultimately, if they turn their buddies in, then they lose the power that they have over their victims. So why would they? It's in a this security. Episode. Because yeah. it's like if I accidentally slip up or if I do something that I know other people are going to have my back no matter what, it's easy. And it like honestly makes your life so much easier. Yeah. Well, plus in this episode, I mean, they're all doing the same thing. Right. So they can't snitch on the other person when they're literally doing the same thing. All right. So then at the school, Cordelia is practicing her fake laughter, which I mean, it grates on my nerves, but I think it's supposed to. It's yeah. also funny to me that... um like when she's laughing, you see her hand move with her like laughter. The way that she moves her hand is kind of what you do when you're like singing. Um, you kind of like move your hand to like, you know, feel the rhythm of the music. You'll also kind of like if you feel like you need to reach higher for a note or lower, like a lot of times I'll catch myself and like other singers, not that I'm like, you know, a professional. Um, 
like <laughs> you move your hand when you need to like reach a note. And so it was very funny to me that she was like moving her hand, almost like directing herself to each note. It just kind of killed me. I, I feel like I can hear what she's thinking because she's like, all right, this is supposed to be this however many long. Like this laugh is supposed to be so long that yeah. they understand that I'm actually like enjoying the joke. It can't just be like, you know, like how Cordy would explain things. She's like, it can't be, you know, two seconds long because they won't believe me. Yeah, it's really it's clever. Yeah. She says, Dr. Debbie says when a man is speaking, make eye contact, really listen and laugh at everything he says, which is hilarious because it's like really listen in her mind. She She's just, she's like listening, but she's not hearing. Yeah. Well, she, she says like, it means listen so that you can answer any questions they might have. Yeah. Right. Try find a spot in their conversation where you can laugh and affirm them. That's not really listening. That's just trying to find a spot where you can act like you're listening. Yeah. And then Buffy talks about how she had a sexy dream about Angel that was in surround sound. I love how innocent Willow is because the details that Buffy gives her is just that it was like stuff. That happened and Willow's all like, oh, stuff. Like as if she understands exactly what she means. It's also just very sweet that like Willow is just someone who can like listen to Buffy with no judgment and is just kind of like just ask him out to coffee and is just very supportive of the whole situation is. and is just like very kind to Buffy when I think a lot of people are not being as kind. Yeah, she's very affirmative in like this conversation. She's like, well, that doesn't make him a bad person when she's talking about him being a vampire. I don't know. It's very sweet because like Buffy's kind of being like, well, I just keep thinking about him all the time. And she you could tell she kind of feels guilty about it. She's like, I shouldn't have feelings for someone like this. And like Willow's like, well, why don't you just ask him out to coffee? Yeah. I think that Buffy's harder on herself than most people are at this point. And I think Willow senses that. And so she's trying to just help her and reassure her. Yeah. I also like the whole like running idea of like asking someone out to coffee is like, the not as big of a deal of a date because like Willow brings it up and she's like it's like the beginning date like it's the beginner date and then like date yeah the pre-date and then like later on in the episode when they're in the graveyard like Buffy brings it up to um Angel and Angel's like you want to go on a date and then she's like no and he's like okay you want to go to coffee like they're two separate things yep (laughs) and then obviously he's like let's go get coffee and it's just it's very sweet the whole like roundabout idea of it well i think angel and Buffy have such like i don't know they're they're such extremes that are holding over their head when it comes to their relationship because he's like 241 years older than her and like he's a vampire and like everything is going against them that i feel like it would have been too much for them if she was like let's hang out all the time let's be boyfriend and girlfriend let's go on a date so i feel like it's easier just to say hey can we just like start out slow? Can we go get coffee? Because then it's like, it just would be all too much all too soon Yeah. because they already have so many things that are doomed in their relationship already. Xander comes up and I was fully, fully prepared for Xander to start like wailing into Buffy about angel this, angel that. And he kind of just like stayed quiet and didn't really say much. And I was like, okay, all right. Like let my guard down a little bit. I was I was pleasantly surprised. We can't make him super unlikable. So we got to give him moments where he's not going to rail into angel. And then Cordy makes that really harsh comparison with Xander. She says, no comparison between high school and college boys. And then looks Xander up and down. And he's like, you dating college guys now. Also, where's Devin, who we literally just saw like the episode before? Front of the week. <laughs> yeah. I think it's relevant to say that like we do harp on Xander a lot 
And I don't want to make it seem like the things that Cordelia says are okay or justifiable in any way. I think the only reason we harp on Xander more than Cordelia at the moment is one, because Xander's given more screen time, but also two, because like Xander claims to be their friends. Well, he is their friends. I don't want to make it seem like he's not their friends. And so when he says something mean, it means more than Cordelia because they're their friends. But Cordelia is nasty to Xander in this episode. Yeah, she really is. Yeah, And Buffy as well. But I think that we see it more to Xander because Xander's easy to pick on, whereas like Buffy could like beat Cordelia up. So I think that she is a little bit kinder to her. But like Xander just seems like an easy target. And so she kind of always goes in on him. But especially in this episode, I just was like, mm-hmm. geez, girl, like yeah. I love you as a character. But sometimes I'm like this poor guy. I think one of the reasons why we tend to harp on Xander a little bit more so right now more than Cordy is because not only is Cordy not really part of the core group, like Leah said, but we also haven't seen a lot of her morality. Um, She's kind of a secondary character and she's not supposed to be seen as like a moral compass. Um, We see a little bit more like of her character, especially like in the last few episodes of the first season, but yeah, I don't know. Like, she's not someone like Buffy where we're going to look for for our moral compass. So I think we, people kind of expect it more from her. Not that it's okay, but um, hopefully we'll see a little bit more of her character growth. Well, the thing is, is that Cordelia was written to be the mean girl. Xander was written to be the nice guy best friend. And so when you see Xander doing mean things, it's more jarring because that's not supposed to be his role. Versus with Cordelia, we're like, we expect this of her, you mm-hmm. know? She says, I'm seeing someone from Delta Zeta Kappa, and he goes, oh, an extraterrestrial made it through all the human guys, so now you're seeing an alien. And Cordelia makes a remark about how his pizza delivery career is going to like really take off, hinting that he's not going to go to college and is just like incredibly unkind to him, which is interesting because a couple episodes back in season one, I don't remember which one it was, but Willow had actually made a similar comment to Xander, not in an unkind way. I think it was like the pack or something when he wasn't doing his homework. But she talks about how he's going to have a career as a pizza delivery guy if he doesn't like keep up his grades and stuff. So I think that Cordelia's comments to him got to be hurting extra because there's probably a little bit like a little nugget of truth in there, you know? Uh, Anyway, they have a conversation about how Buffy is going to be 10 minutes late to her meeting with Giles in the library, but she shouldn't worry too much about it because, you know, there haven't been that many vampires cut to the library and Giles is pretty upset. (laughs) My favorite thing is it cuts and he goes, are you going to be prepared when a demon springs up you and does this? And then like (laughs) she immediately like uh, beats him up and stuff. It's just so funny because I don't know why in his mind he keeps thinking that he's able to like trick her and like beat her. And right. every single time within like seconds, she like pins him to the ground. Yep. Or this is like the third time since the beginning of the show where he's like, you have to hone in your skills day and night. And she just kind of like completely like whams into him and he's like, all right, you're good to go. Yeah. And he's like, when as she has his arm pinned behind his back, he's like, yeah, well, I'm not a demon, which is why you should let go mm. now. And then he goes into the whole thing of it's only a matter of time before a fresh hell will break loose, essentially saying like, this is the time that you need to be practicing and honing your skills because there's not an imminent threat right now. 
Um, and Buffy understandably wants time for herself. She wants to be able to do what a normal teenage girl would do. All themes that we're very familiar with at this point, unfortunately. This conversation between them two is like, it's so important for their characters. And what she says is like what he needed to hear. Cause she's like, you don't understand what it's like. And he's like, well, yeah, I do. And she's like, do you remember what it's like to be a 16 year old? And she's like, and a girl and a vampire slayer. And he's like, well, well, no, I don't know what that means. And she's like, or having to dust vampires when you're having fuzzy feelings towards one. There's so Mm -hmm. much that she has to think through. Like, it's not just one thing. And like, she's right. Like, he doesn't know what that's like. I feel like not only is like there like the age gap, because I swear at a certain point in your life, you just kind of forget what it's like to be really young and all the stuff that you go through. But on top of that, being a girl in that environment and then on top of that being the vampire slayer and then having to like fight the feelings that you have for someone who kind of represents that part of your life that is so daunting to you that's got to be so much this scene kind of mirrors prophecy girl for me when she says giles i'm 16 years old i don't want to die i feel like in some ways that giles should know better and but at the same time, I also relate with him because he's probably thinking about that exact moment and going, hey, like, I don't want to have to face that again. So I've got to make sure that she's prepared. Yeah. And that's actually what I was going to say is that, like, it, he kind of reveals it at the end of the episode, just being like, I just want you to be prepared. I want you to be safe. And that's why I push you. And I think that that's just a very fatherly response is just to kind of react out of fear and just been like, I just want her to be safe. I want her to be protected and I don't want to lose her again. And he just obviously doesn't approach it the right way. But like, I think that you can see and Buffy can see like his heart is really in the right place. Yeah, especially because in Nightmares, we saw that he was afraid Buffy was going to die. And when she did die, he said, I'm sorry, I should have trained you harder. I failed you. And these are all things that are probably running through his mind when he's having conversations like this. Exactly. And don't think sitting there pouting is going to get to me because it won't. And then she's like pouting and he's like looking at her like, it's not going to get to me. Yeah, he's like, it's not getting to me. <laughs> it's very much like father and daughter scene. It's super cute. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting that he's like, you have a duty and commitment that makes you different. And he's going, hey, like your difference is should be celebrated. Like you have a duty and a commitment. Like that's something that most people don't have. And she's over there like, no, I, I want to be normal. And I think that – I think it's just an interesting way of both of them approaching a complicated issue from very opposite vantage points. So he tells her, you're going to do hand-to-hand this afternoon, patrol tonight, and then come straight back here when you get your homework done. Which, fun fact, this is the first episode that they actually use the word patrolling in the show. Up until now, they called it hunting. Oh, well. Yeah, I know, right? And it's actually the first episode where Buffy is out patrolling for no specific reason. She's just patrolling because there might be vampires or whatever out there. Huh. I mean, not to spoil anything for you guys, but like patrolling just becomes such a normal thing in the show. I kind of yeah. forget that it's not the hair. I didn't even know that patrolling wasn't even considered patrolling because I've definitely referred to it as yeah. patrolling this whole time. We so apologize. My bad. <laughs> Whoops, we're the worst. <laughs> I said there wasn't any spoilers. In the- yeah, we <laughs> spoiled the word patrol for you. Yeah, my I, my apologies. <laughs> Outside the school, what is Buffy doing? Doddling. And Xander and Willow walk up and they're like, well, what are you doing? And she says, I'm doddling with my friends. And she's like doing the exact opposite of what Giles told her to do. When uh, Xander, this line that he says is literally me all throughout high school. Says Leah. He goes, oh, what a long day. And then Willow goes, you skip four classes. <laughs> 
I'd always somehow end up leaving the day early or showing college. up late or something. Like I just was never there at school at all, honestly, especially my junior year. And I would like show up to school and I'd be like, oh, today's like been so long. And they're like, you literally skipped like two days out of the week. Like, but yeah, I barely missed in high school because I was like, gay two shoes. But um, in college, definitely not the case. Anytime I try to skip or do anything, I always get caught. So I'm like, why? Why even try? I was like, there was no one to really catch me. Like, what were they going to catch me doing? I just wasn't showing I, up. I was late once to my, um, <laughs> to my, well, not like, not like late to school, but I was like late to like a period um, because I walked to the other one because we have block scheduling. So I went to the wrong one on the opposite of campus. I like walked all the way back and like the bell rang before I walked in and my like math teacher was just like, oh, Tabby, you're late. I, I was like, think, oh, well, you can sit down. <laughs> I don't think I've ever gotten a tardy to class. Like mine was always tardy to school. All that to say the line that Xander and Willow had was very funny. And then you hear like a car screeching, a really nice car drives up. I don't know what kind of car it is because I am not a car person, but it looks like a really nice car. <laughs> it's black. <laughs> well, they, well, they you can tell by the color. <laughs> <laughs> and then she does her laugh again and they're like, calculated. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we also recognize that Richard is the guy from the first scene with Callie. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how this episode plays because you're looking at Richard, you're like, clearly he's the bad yeah. guy. And Tom just seems like a decent, nice guy the I entire really time. I like how they play on the narrative of two douchebags. There's the upfront, clearly obvious douchebag, which is right the one the get-go, yeah. Yeah, the, the one that dates Cordelia, the one that you know that they show you. And it's like the two type of, I feel like, college guys that you kind of meet is the ones that are obvious jerks and the ones that are hidden. And I think that I like that they show that there's two different guys and that the ones that are hidden ends up even being worse because they're calculated because he was calculated, but also he ended up being the leader Mm -hmm. of the group. And I like how they showed that like, just because it's hidden doesn't mean it's not there. Well, I also just like, I feel like it represents what Buffy is scared for because like Cordy kind of falls for the one that's like kind of more obviously corrupt because I think that's more of her type. But then like Buffy for someone who seems like he's so nice. And then like at the end, he ends up being horrible. And you're just like, man, I'm sure this is like what she's super worried about. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's a good thing that she didn't really care about him that right. much because I think this would have really hurt her. But I just, it's very interesting that that's the type of guy that she goes for. I love that Cordelia's first line is, hi, Richard, nice car. And the way she does it, she's like in awe of his car, which reminds me of the harvest where she says, you know, college guys are so much superior to high school boys because of cars. So shallow. And then she changes her opinion by the end of the episode. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then Tom sees Buffy and wants to have Buffy be invited along. And Richard's like, who's your friend? Cordelia's like, her? She's not a friend. And Tom's like, she's amazing. And Cordelia's like, more like a sister. <laughs> Buffy doesn't want to go over initially. And then she basically drags her over there. Yeah. And um, I like I like how it shows that like Buffy thinks he's like nice and obviously probably attractive. Mm-hmm. But like you can tell she has a ton of reservations because she's like, no, I like Angel. I want to be with yeah. Angel. And so she like tells him, you know, I'm kind of taken. And I, I like how they showed that like she kind of only went with this guy because she thought he would be an easy, safe option in comparison to constantly fighting for Buffy, for, not for herself, for Angel. It's also too because she says it. I could have a conversation with Tom versus with Angel. Like they struggle with communicating effectively. And I mean, we'll see that later on. But, you know, like I think that 
in her mind, it was like, well, here is a perfectly good option and he's safe and he's also easy versus why am I trying so hard for the really difficult version? You know, the one that's also a vampire. Yep. And like, I think it's funny because when they're talking, um, you can hear Cordy in the background doing her fake laugh again. Oh, my word. (laughs) And you see Richard's face. I know he's like, what in the world is this girl doing? In this conversation, Tom's like, oh, of course you're involved. Like, no worries. Thanks for letting me ramble to you. Um, and then Giles comes in. He's like, oh, I laughed so hard. I've seen this episode so many yep. times. It's a dad <laughs> moment yep. where he's just like, Buffy? And he looks at her and pulls out his watch and like kind of taps it and is just like silently like reprimanding her. Yep. And, and you could tell like everyone knows it and feels it. It just was so just funny. storms away too. Yeah, he's so sassy. <laughs> the frown on his face. He looks so irritated. Oh man, I I burst out laughing. I just Giles in this episode is really funny for some reason. I don't know why they decided to make him extra comedic, but he just he's a gem. And then Xander goes, "I hate these guys." Yeah, the entire time he's like, "She's going to walk away now," and then he's like, "Okay, boots, start a walk in." And I think uh, not a, not to like you know say what we've all been saying this entire time, but. Xander has a problem anytime Buffy shows any interest to another guy. And I think that it's a little sad seeing how he just assumes that Buffy just can't possibly be interested in any other guy other than him. And it just shows how little he knows her too. Not just Angel. It's like I I clocked that in this episode too. It's like he's equally as like jealous of this random Tom dude than he is of like Angel who she's actually interested in. It's like any – any person that she shows an interest to, he doesn't like it. Yeah. Um, two things I noted in the scene is Tom is majoring in history, which I think is hilarious, the ongoing history joke, especially because Angel was supposed to be her history tutor in the episode Angel. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I forgot to talk about this. He said he's a senior and she's a junior in high school. We know that she's not 17 yet. She's still 16. And he's supposed to be, what, 21 or 22? Yeah. That's well, gross. There's there's multiple kind of themes going on in this episode, but also the predatory nature of mm-hmm. frat houses and college boys and that whole, the unhealthy side of it, because I'm not going to slam all of that culture because I've never been a part of it, so I can't speak on it. But I definitely know a lot about the unhealthy side of it. A lot of it is very, like, gross, <laughs> and it's very, like... I don't know. There's there is a weird connection between like college guys and high school girls, and it's been going on for far too long. And I think that I think it's they, just the ignorance and the innocence is sexy to them. Yeah, I don't really want to go into why it's attractive because it frankly makes me uncomfortable. But it's definitely there and it's definitely real. I think the fact that he's a human is what makes it gross because it's not yeah. like he's like some demon or some form of evil. It's like no, he's just a gross human guy who just finds sport in that. And I mean, the episode uses the fraternity analogy, but they're not just talking about frats here. They're talking about predatory pedophilia. There's so many things going on. I mean, they use fraternities just for to get their point across. Yeah. But there's a lot of other things going on here as well. Um, I think it's interesting, too, that Buffy starts to take note of Tom once he starts talking about how he's not really friends with Richard. He's only has to be because they're both in the same fraternity that his dad and grandpa were in. He talks about, would you like to come and save me from my really dull fate? Like a lot of the words that he's using is stuff that Buffy can relate to, things like destiny and fate. And even though 
Buffy kind of bought into a lot of his stuff. I think it speaks a lot to her character of how she wasn't into Richard because she could tell immediately he's just a douche. But Tom actually looks like a decent, kind guy. And I think that it shows that Buffy actually cares for that type of person who has a little bit more depth. Yep, absolutely. And they cut straight to the library. Giles is in full armor and he's like, I'm going to attack you now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I won't be pulling any punches. Buffy's like, Oh my goodness, I'm so afraid. Please don't. (laughs) You sound like a robot there. That was good. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right. So Buffy breaks the stick, throws him on the desk, and Giles is like, okay, good. You're on patrol. See you in the morning. And like, how many times have we seen Giles like suit up now and Buffy just wail on him? I think every episode now. Literally. I think he just wants to be helpful. I think that this also just kind of shows that ultimately he underestimates her physically and also just like mentally i guess but he just kind of underestimates her as a person and as a slayer um because he's just so worried for her and he's not really seeing all of who she is yeah yeah absolutely i think too do you guys remember when we talked about i think in season or yeah season one episode one where they had to constantly tell anthony stewart head and sarah michelle geller like you guys can't get too close because we don't ever want there to be a hint right. of um, a relationship between you guys other than watcher slayer father daughter like no hint of that at all and i wonder if they specifically wrote Giles's role in this episode to be very funny because this is an episode about older men preying on younger women. Mm. And I think it would have been very easy if they had had the intensity of past episodes in this one for people to be like, ooh, are they trying to like maybe do a metaphor about Giles's relationship with Buffy? And instead they have it go almost in the opposite direction where he's more of the comic relief because they don't want you to at all get the hint of that. I think that they made him more of a comic relief, but they also made him 10 times more fatherly in this episode than I think that they yeah. ever have. Yeah. Like yeah. the way that his mannerisms, the way he talks to her, like it's it's way more fatherly than I think we've ever gotten. And I think that there is a reason for that. I think that they really wanted to make a distinction between these crappy college guys that are being predatory and Giles, who's just being caring, which I appreciate. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I don't ever want there to be a hint of that because I love oh, their relationship. No. I never once for a second this whole show thought that that was like there was like anything like that. Yeah. Buffy's patrolling, not hunting. She finds a bracelet and has um, half of the bracelet cut off and just says ENT on it. And Angel just cuts in and says, there's blood on it. And I love how there's always this constant reminder of, I'm a vampire. He's like, I could smell it. Yep. I can't breathe. I don't have breath. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. Just kind of kills me because you see kind of the progression of, at least for me, like I could see the progression in Angel's mind and like how he's like thinking and just kind of trying to process all of this. And you see him kind of going from like, oh, I'm happy to see you, Buffy, to like realizing that she's desiring something more, which obviously he is too. Um, And you see him kind of like something kind of go off in his brain where he's like, I need to scare her into like what this could be for us and get her to run away, get her to, you know, get her to scare off. That way 
I I can protect her. And I think she she views it as condescending because even later on, she's like, he treats me like I'm a child. And I think she kind of feels frustrated because she's like, well, I've thought through all of these things. Like I'm thinking through, I am well aware that he's 241 years older than I am. But yet he's talking to me as if I am not thinking about it. But in his mind, he's like, I feel responsible because I'm older and like I've gone through a lot more and like I know what I can't give her. So I can see both sides in this conversation. And it's just like, it's painful to watch. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to the Giles situation. I feel like people are underestimating Buffy a lot in this episode. Um, And I think it's, that's what causes her to go in the opposite direction be like, no, I am old. I am mature or, well, I'm not, she doesn't want to be mature because she says, you know, um, when she was taking the alcohol, she was like, I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of being mature. And I think that, Mm -hmm. They, there's a double standard there because they're like, man, you have this big, this big calling. You are the slayer. You're the chosen one. Blah blah blah. But you're also like too young, and you aren't thinking things through. And I think that yeah. she's tired of having that ping pong back and forth. And she's like, will someone just trust me? Yeah. Yep. Which I also feel like could be a metaphor for high schoolers in general. Um, oh yeah. Because the workload that is put on high schoolers, the amount of pressure and responsibilities whether it is with academics or with sports. A lot of high schoolers had jobs. Um, Like just in general, on top of social pressures and friend pressures and family and even relationships and stuff, like you go through so much and you're put a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. However, you don't get any of the respect or the freedoms of an actual adult. Yep. Yeah. Their conversation is interesting. They completely miscommunicate. Um, and Angel says, if we date, you and I both know that one thing is going to lead to the other. Buffy says one thing already has, it's too late to warn me. And he grabs her kind of roughly and says, I'm trying to protect you. Things could get out of control. And I think it all comes down to, I mean, we know we've seen Angel be very fearful and he's once again, not quite a man, not quite a vampire. And I think he's truly afraid of hurting Buffy, not just like, um, it's this is a metaphorical conversation, not just hurting her relationship wise, but hurting her like maybe possibly biting her, turning yeah. her into a vampire, something like that. I think he's afraid of himself and that side that he hates. Yeah, and I think that like I don't know how much they've gone into this in the series yet, but I definitely think that we can see a correlation between the bloodlust that vampires have and their passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh so yeah, think, sexuality is yeah. There's a huge connection. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that the more that Angel kind of loves Buffy, cares for Buffy, kind of desires her, the more he craves her blood. Yeah, so I think that there is that added like self control that you know Angel has to have and Buffy won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good point, especially because so. I know that Angel himself isn't predatory, but because this episode has had a lot of predatory themes, Angel is trying to protect Buffy from that side of himself. And so there is that correlation between their relationship. Like it's interesting they're having this this moment because if you do equate sex with vampirism, it makes a lot of sense with what she says. You know, he goes, this isn't some fairy tale. When I kiss you, you don't wake up from a deep sleep and live happily ever after. And she says, no, when you kiss me, I want to die because his kiss is vampirism. Like it's him biting her. When I first heard that line, when I first ran through the show, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cheesy. I thought it was so stupid. And then I thought about it when I rewatched the show a while ago and I was like, 
oh, she means she he like she wants him to turn her into a vampire, yep. to die and be with him. Be with him. Yep. And so it's like a romantic mm-hmm. thing of like Same I'd way. rather I'd prefer death to be with you rather than to not have your kiss. So it's actually very beautiful and it's very like metaphorical and stuff. And the first time I watched this, I just was not smart enough to get that. And I just was like, this is so stupid and cheesy. And then I realized it's like actually literal. Well, well, also she's literally showing him like, we're already there. You're saying that we're not there and you're saying that things are going to lead to a certain place. And by her saying that, she's like, you don't understand. Like, I'm already beyond where you think I am. Like yeah. when you kiss me, like I already want to live my life with you. Like I want to be eternal and I want us to just like not go through this anymore. You know, like it's too painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think she's necessary. I mean, the the comment that she makes could be taken several different ways, but I don't think yeah. she's literally meaning I mean, again, it's the double-edged thing. She's saying she wants to sleep with him. She's saying that she, her love for him is a lot deeper than he even realizes. And I think she's trying to tell him, like, you keep thinking this is some little fling, some little crush, and I have feelings for you that are very, very deep. And I recognize that they're deep, you know? Um, yeah, it's just, like, really well-written. I think he's just pushing it down. Well, he's scared to to, to even admit it to himself because yeah. he's like, this is doomed either way. Mm-hmm. And I mean... Honestly, Angel's probably the best judge of that because he lived with himself as a vampire. You know, he knows what he's capable of. Buffy doesn't know that. Um, So yeah, Buffy runs away. Then we cut to the classroom and Buffy's outfit is so cute. She's wearing this green shirt. I also wanted to point out that because I've, I mean, I talk about it probably every episode, their clothing matters. And I think that this is one of the most conservative outfits we've seen Buffy wear up until this point. She's wearing a pretty longer skirt. Usually she's in her mini skirts mm-hmm. and she's wearing like a more covered up dress. Not, I mean, not dress, uh, shirt. Like it's more of kind of like a t-shirt thing. And she's very like covered up. This is probably the most conservative we've seen her. But then I think they did this to show the correlation between that and the dress that she wears at the party. She's trying to be more mature. She's trying to like prove to everyone I'm old. I'm sophisticated. I can handle this environment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, her outfits in this episode are all white. She wears a white shirt in both the scenes that we see her. I don't know about the scene in her bedroom, but I know when she's at school, she had two white tops and then cuts to her wearing black dress. And I, again, I think you're right, Leah. I don't think that's accidental, you know? No. I just think it's funny because like Cordy is like, okay, well, don't wear spandex, don't wear leather, and don't wear black. Those are my staple pieces. And then she shows up in a black dress. It's also like, <laughs> those are all like Buffy's staples. Like they are her black, like leather jacket is a staple. Like black in general is a staple for her. Like it's just very funny that pretty much everything she named was like, hmm, those are things that Buffy's known for. And what's Cordelia going to do if she shows up? She can't get into the party unless Buffy's there so like yeah it's yeah go change the excuse they give her i mean i i've never been to a frat party but i had friends who were in frats and they talk about the ratios how like guys couldn't just casually get into frat parties because they wanted more girls there they could only come if they came with a girl or girls could get into whatever party they wanted because they wanted more girls there which is a real it's a real thing but it doesn't make as much sense when they're the ones throwing the party so it's like they're already going to be there. So it makes sense they wanted to go to a frat party and they're like, hey, we need girls to get in. But it doesn't make sense if they're the ones but throwing the party. But if they're hosting a party with all guys, they need girls to come. That's true. Yep. Yep. Exactly. That's it. 
Um, and again, it's just another metaphor for guys preying on women. Yep. That's all. That's what it is. Uh, this conversation with Cordelia is just hysterical. She's like, um, so I was so busy really listening that I didn't hear everything Richard says. And then she talks about how she's like, Buffy, this is a big deal. She's like, he is Richard Anderson. She like talks about all the things that his family owns. Like, I think it's like uh, Anderson automobiles or something like that. But then she says, and then Anderson cosmetics. And she like starts to like cry. And then she's like, Buffy, these men are rich and I'm not just being shallow. She's like, think of all the good I could do, all the people I could help. And it's interesting because I truly felt like when she said that last thing, all the people I could help, I felt like she kind of meant it. And I was like, that's really interesting. Like, I wonder if beneath all of this that Cordelia really truly wants to help people. I don't know. It was just interesting. Or she's just saying that because she, you know, she was I kind of took it more as she's just trying to appeal to the fact that Buffy likes to help people. And so she's trying to just be like, Buffy, I'll help people if I get money. That is fair. I guess so. Yeah. No. Maybe I'm just trying to believe the best. <laughs> and Buffy agrees to go and Cordelia's like, it's like we're sisters with really different hair. <laughs> I know she bashes her hair. She's like, don't have your hair do that thing. She's like, what thing? She's like, oh, you know, nothing. All right, and then it cuts to the cult basement, and they're trying to initiate a new member to serve Makita. And yeah, then you find out that it's actually the frat. Yeah, and then you oh, see that ah. I know we're all like so shocked. In blood, I was baptized, and in his name, he will reign. And then they all like in his name, and I'm like, oh, they've got the giant sword to cut diamonds in each other's skin. And I'm like, why do you have to use the giant sword? Can I have a smaller diamond? Oh, the cuts are so deep. I was like, my goodness, like your whole back is just like completely wounded. Like, ow. Yeah. People are definitely going to be asking questions. Why do you have like four diamonds sketched in here? Uh Uh-huh. Fraternity stuff. (laughs) That seems about right. Why would they walk around shirtless though? Unless they're like, because they're in a frat. (laughs) Unless they're like doing some stupid thing, but like for the most part, you could hide it if you wanted to. It's California. Like they're going to go swimming at some point. I don't think they really care. Obviously, they don't. All the other, all honesty, if you saw a bunch of people with like weird brand marks on them and they all were just like, we did it because we're in a frat, you'd be like, that's weird, but okay. I don't know. I'd be like, this is a weird frat. I don't want cuts on my body. There's frats who get like tattoos of each other. Like, I know so many like fraternities and stuff that like will get like their, uh, they get branded. I know someone who got branded. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm so sheltered. I have no idea. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Okay. Anyway. So back at school, I love that Willow is jealous that Buffy's going with Cordelia because she's like, wait, I'm her best friend. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. Very sweet. I'm like, Sander and is like unhealthy about it. She goes, did that sound jealous? And then she kind of like sobers herself up and is like, okay, moving on. She's so self-aware. I really love it. And Buffy feels like Angel is treating her like a child thinks that Tom can carry a better conversation. And Sanders like, um, Tom, what? He's like, frying pan? Fire? Which, I mean, he is right, but annoyingly so. I know. Poor Buffy. She's like, Angel barely says two words to me. And when he does, he treats me like a child. Yeah. Poor yeah. I, I do feel bad for her. Okay, this, this scene with Giles. He's like, what is he doing? Practicing his... <laughs> 
I don't know. I, but then he, I, I think he was he's like, just he's like, will you be ready if a vampire is behind you? And he turns around, they scare him. And I'm like, were you ready for them behind you? I think it's also just he's kind of getting sick of Buffy beating him up. Yeah, right. He's like our dad who likes to practice conversations he had like five years ago. This is Giles. He's like in his mind, you know, like you're in the shower, you're rehearsing what you should have said. Giles yep. is back there like, imagine if I actually beat her. Yeah. Our dad does it all the yeah. time. Also, I love Willow's outfit. I know we talked about Buffy's. And I we wrote talked about down. the random girls. Yeah. But it's adorable. Well, her little pink like thing with her like jeans. With I just, flowers like, on yeah, it. Yeah, it's just very like bold and it's very confident. And I think that this is an outfit that we would actually see Buffy wear. And I like just like the fact that it's very like like a Buffy-esque outfit, but like with a willow spit with like the cute pastels and little like flowers on the jeans. Well, it's this very is cute. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but since the beginning of the show, we've barely we've really only ever seen Willow wear like skirts and tights. I think this is one of the first times we've seen her with jeans on. And it's like super cute. Like I love seeing her in jeans. She's been in pants a few times. Like she wore overalls in Inca Mummy Girl. She's worn she's worn pants in season one and stuff too. I don't but I agree. I think that this outfit is especially cute. And I think that it actually like sometimes Willow's outfits kind of clash. This one kind of went together very nicely. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. All right, so the three enter, and Buffy shows Giles the bracelet and says Angel told her it was blood. And Xander sees his opportunity and is like, oh, you know, Buffy should patrol tonight knowing that she's going to go to the frat. And Buffy just outright lies and says she has lots of homework, her mom's sick, and oh, actually, she's feeling pretty sick too. And Giles is actually really kind. Mm -hmm. He he immediately is like, oh, you should get better. Like he genuinely cares for her. And you can tell that makes Buffy feel worse. And I think it, this kind of just goes to show the fact that like Giles isn't trying to like maliciously control Buffy's life. He genuinely does care about her well-being. And the way he's trying to do that is overtraining her. Well, even like yeah. later on, like when they find out about Callie, like Giles is like, oh, let's not bother Buffy. She's with her mom. So like he's just very like kind about it in this episode. Yeah. And I think you're right, Leah. That was a good point about how he genuinely does care about her. He isn't making all these rules and forcing her to train because he wants to have some sort of power over her. It's because he genuinely cares about her well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, Xander and Willow don't feel right about Buffy lying and Willow is judging Buffy's decision because she and she makes some good points. She's like, there's going to be drinking there, um, older guys. And then she's like an orgies, which when it comes to like the craziness that happens at fraternities, that's definitely not the one I would have thought about. I know that's I like the first like, one she goes maybe to drugging women, maybe like forceful behavior, you know, other things other than like orgies. Cause it's like, you could say no to an orgy. Like, it's not like you're like, being forced into one, but um, like they made a lot of good points. Cause it's like, she's 16 at this point. There's going to be alcohol, like a lot of underage people, a lot of older men, but yeah, I mean like most of the time it's like, okay, like that's a little bit like rigid, but I completely understand where both of them are coming from and her lying to Giles. And it's implied that she possibly even lied to her mom too. I mean, Cordelia tells her, do lie to your mom. Yeah. This is a fraternity. There will be drinking there. I mean, because if Joyce saw her leaving the house like that, I'm pretty sure she'd probably be like, "Um, where are you going? I don't know though. Buffy could literally just be like, I'm going to the bronze. And her mom would be like, okay. Or she just snuck out of the window like she normally does. I, mean, I guess that's like, true. She's pretty normal looking. It's not like promiscuous at all. She's, she's pretty worn other things. Yeah, she's pretty much 
kids wearing dresses like that to school just with the jacket over them. I guess that's true, huh? We think it's something special, but I think she's worn stuff very similar to that in the regular episode. Well, like like in um, I forget which episode, but she wears a shirt that's like really sheer, and you can see her bra underneath. So well, I'm like this episode. Oh, it's this episode. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it's this episode where she wears a shirt that's sheer. But like she wears that to school and this dress is very simple looking. I don't really see it as very promiscuous at all. Yeah, it's just very much a I'm going to go dancing and clubbing type dress. That's cute. I actually really like it. Yeah. So Willow and Xander have an interesting conversation where Willow can't believe that Buffy lied to Giles and Xander says, I'm going to go to the party. And this is, again, reminiscent of prophecy girl where he says he's going to go after Buffy and Willow <laughs> Willow knows him so well she's like you want to protect her he's like yeah she's like and prove that you're just as good as those rich and snotty guys he's like yeah and she's like and maybe catch an orgy and he's like yeah it's like she keeps getting warmer warmer well we found it we found yeah. the reason you want to go <laughs> it's also just very funny because I think that part of them is kind of like bantering with each other and it's kind of cute to see she knows him so well I love it okay did you guys see Cordelia's license? Yeah. This is Queen C. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Which is funny because we saw Cordelia when she got her license in The Witch. Like, she kept crashing and everything. I seriously don't know how she got that license because she seems no better than when she was blind. Probably just, like, bribed the person. Oh, my gosh. The parking in this scene, it was like, <laughs> and I was, like, sitting with Leah, and Leah just starts laughing. I was like, that's you, Leah. <laughs> it is. is. I'm terrible park. at parking. He's like, oh, people always park so close. And even though she's the one pulling up and parking. Yeah, exactly. And Buffy looks like she's already regretting everything. She says, maybe this isn't such a good idea. And go, go yeah. Cordy's like, you ready? And then Buffy's like, maybe this isn't such a good idea. And Cordelia's like, me too. Let's go. <laughs> like, once again, listening very well. Yep. Um, They make it inside the frat house. And what's the dude that was into Cordy? What's his name? Richard. So Richard, throughout like the whole time that they're in the frat house, keeps trying to give Buffy like a drink. Every time she's like talking to somebody, like while she's not thinking about it, he hands her one. But she kind of mentally checks in and is like, oh, I don't, I don't want to drink. Like, I don't want to do that. But he comes and immediately hands one to Cordy and Buffy. And then Buffy's like, oh, is there alcohol in this? And he says, oh, only like a smidge. And then Cordy's like trying to play it off because she's like, Buffy, be cool. Like, it's only a little bit. Be fine. Yeah. And then he belittles her. He's like, oh, when I was your age, I didn't drink alcohol or didn't want to drink alcohol. And and I think that you're seeing, again, this culture of toxicity where if somebody doesn't want to do something, they bully them or belittle them and make them do it, you know? And it's just – it's not healthy at all. Mm-hmm. And then Richard takes Cordelia – to a different part of the house and says, well, what about her? And Cordelia says, oh, her, she's happiest by herself, which is just really sad because that hits close to home for Buffy, I think, because she isn't happiest by herself. She's just forced to be, you know? I will say scenes like this, even though I know it's not real, are some of the main reasons why I will, one, never go to a party alone because like, what's the point? But also (laughs) never go to a party with someone I'm not close with because my literal worst night well okay no there's a way worse but like this is just like awful to me just like sitting in the corner while everyone's like having fun or doing other things and me just hating the environment and just wanting to go home the whole time i've been in environments like that i hate it yep i hate it i feel so bad for buffy in this scene yep and then like this random guy is like gearing himself up being like hey you girl 
runs all the way over there and then Tom kind of is like saves a damsel in distress and then starts dancing with her. Yeah. Well, first before that, then we see Xander sneaking in, which he looks like he's trying so hard to fit in, but he stands out. He sticks out like a sore thumb. It's really, it's really obvious. He's like this bright red polo and nobody is wearing a polo in that place. Oh yeah. I think it's also interesting that they dress up the new pledges as cocktail waitresses and you're you're seeing this kind of like subliminal message being put out there of like feminine and woman-like equals not uh it's like it's less than like you're inferior it's a joke right and you see that like how when they dress up Xander and how they treat these guys like it's very much to make themselves feel better and to also kind of belittle the pledges and make them subservient to themselves you know kind of piggybacking on what you said Sarah i think it's kind of smart of them to kind of do that because they're creating this like hierarchy so that the guys mm-hmm. will, like want their approval so bad so it kind of creates this whole toxic environment because they're like okay well then they're going to do whatever it is to be friends with me so therefore if i do something they'll hold my secret and then it'll just be this like endless cycle so it's like when they make it up to like the rank that they're in or you know for lack of a better word and then there's new pledges it's like this endless cycle where it's like we kind of groomed you and then we're going to do that with it for the new people. And it's like this endless thing. Yeah, it's incredibly toxic, but unfortunately very effective too. Yeah. Um, Buffy's feeling increasingly insecure, picks up her drink, puts it down again. And then you see like there's several guys staring at her and indicating that she should drink. And mm-hmm. because of that, she can tell that she's sticking out. She decides to take a sip, which again, this is what we were talking about. This is that culture of intimidation. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting. I don't know if she takes a th- sip. I think she kind of pretends to take a sip. Because um, I think she just takes it when she's outside. Yeah, I think so as well. But I think that it's really interesting that like – no one man was innocent in this in the fact you see multiple yep. guys throughout the night try and get her to drink because they all know yep. her drink is roofied and so mm-hmm. they all are trying to get her to drink i think it's four men in total throughout the night four or five that try and get her to drink her drink because they know what's in her drink Yep. Yeah. And it's, I mean, um, let's imagine that there isn't a giant snake in the basement. Let's imagine that Tom actually wanted to rape Buffy. You know, I've been watching a lot of SVU. So this is kind of like in a very appropriate episode to watch. But it just imagine that Tom actually wanted to take advantage of Buffy. And you have all of these guys that know that he wants that and know why she's there. So they are all trying to get her to drink so that Tom, like it's a whole buddy thing. Oh, so Tom can have his way with this girl. Like it's just, it's an interesting metaphor for them sacrificing her to a snake, you know? Yep. And even if they weren't actively trying to be like, oh, drink that, drink that, like even the fact that they would turn a blind eye or somehow be involved. Oh, yeah is just as bad in my opinion. Right. Yeah. Yep. So then that guy approaches Buffy. Tom saves her and they have a conversation while dancing. He says, you're not seeing someone. And she says, no, someone's not seeing me. Aww. And then I have obligations and responsibilities. I shouldn't be here. And he says, you can be too mature. You need to relax. And then he says, oh, the Hulk is gone. So you don't need to dance with me. Like playing the good guy part. Mm-hmm. And Xander is playing with his food. <laughs> And the Richard and the guys are like, okay, that must be a new guy. So they take him away thinking he's a new pledge. And I hate, 
I hate this next scene because Buffy's still feeling very much an outsider. And so she walks outside, steps on the broken glass from where we saw Callie jump, looks up and sees the boarded window. And I think normally Buffy would have gone and investigated that. But I think that in that moment with Tom and Richard kind of trying to convince her to drink, she says, you know, what the hell? I'm tired of being mature and drinks. And I think that moment she was kind of shutting off that intuitive side of her that was like, hey, you should go check that out. And instead it was like, no, for once I want to be normal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like also in her mind, if she's having one drink, that's her like loosening up a little bit, but one drink isn't going to affect you at all unless you're incredibly lightweight. And so in her mind, she's like, what's one drink going to do? But then as we see, it was roofied and she's like barely walking. And I'm just like, man, I hate this scene. And it's annoying because it's like, this is literally the first time we've seen Buffy let loose. Yeah. Legitimately. Like the most she does is go to the bronze and kiss Angel. That's it. That's the wildest thing she has done. One date with Owen. Yeah. Like the, that's the craziest stuff that she has done. Like she does not do really anything. And so like the fact that she literally goes to one party has has one drink drink with some guy that she thinks she's safe with. Like, and that's, yeah. Like, unfortunately that's a lot of girls stories is like, even if, you know, even if they party all the time, like it, all it takes is one drink at one party and yeah, it's just so sad. Yeah. Well, before she gets all clumsy, like they cut to the library and then um, Willow and Giles are talking and Willow figures out who the bracelet belongs to. Thank you. Willow and Giles, they're doing, decide to do word searches on things that could match ENT and come up with Kent Preparatory High School, which my goodness, Sunnydale is huge. They have a college and another school. Like what in the no. world? <laughs> well, they, they most likely have like multiple <laughs> because it's like a private school and then you have Sunnydale High, and then there's bound to be another one because they had a, had to search up a school. Because like even in where our parents live, like it's not the biggest area ever, but there's like so many high schools. Yeah, and let's be real. Who did we hear say that Sunnydale was small? Cordelia and Cordelia. I think everywhere except for you know New York or Los Angeles is going to be pretty small to her at least. Anywhere where she doesn't have opportunities is small. <laughs> there you go. That's what it is. Uh, so Xander is dressed in a padded bra, lipstick, and a wig, and they're making him dance while they hit him. Oh, I I hate it. I hate watching it because I could only imagine how humiliating that must feel. And I think knowing just bits and pieces of Xander's background and stuff, it seems like he didn't have the best home life. And I would imagine this is probably not going to help his psyche any. I feel like it's different because he doesn't know them. And so it's even more humiliating. But I feel like if it was like with friends, it could be lighthearted and funny. But like, I think, I don't know, he's going into this with people he doesn't know and he wants to be accepted and have a good time while he's watching out for Buffy. Um, And then being put on the spot like that has got to be really uncomfortable. Yeah, but they also like, they put the lipstick on without his permission. They put the bra on. They put the, you know, this is all being done without his consent. And I think that that is not okay. You know, it's traumatizing. Yeah, it is. Right. With people touching you and disrobing you and hitting you and stuff, like, it's obviously not what he wants to be doing. So, and then Buffy stumbling around disoriented. And you could see her saying, she says, Tom, but he's nowhere around. 
Um, and I, I was thinking like it, as a slayer, I wonder if it would take more than the average to drug her or maybe because she was mm-hmm. a lightweight with some combination of like the alcohol and the drugs. I, or- I think that she probably has a higher tolerance because she has a higher pain tolerance and yeah. heals fast. Sure. Well, to be fair, she downed the whole drink. So it wasn't one drink, but I bet you that they like really put a lot of stuff in there. But I think that's also probably part of the reason why she was able to make it all the way up the stairs. Mm, that's fair. Oh, she saying, was. Yeah. Well, because they want them to be like, they want to make sure that they're completely unconscious so that they wouldn't run away. So I can see them like dosing it more so. So if she like collapsed, they could just carry her upstairs, which it looks like with Cordy. But Leah, yeah. the point, like she was able to like walk around and then find her way upstairs. And then Buffy lays on the bed, passes out. And she says, I just need room to stop spinning. Poor thing. Richard comes in and Ugh. Um, he totally looks like he's going to molest Buffy. Like you can just see it on his face. And Tom stops him and we're like, oh, this Tom is a good guy. <laughs> he's like, nope, yeah. you have to save her for the master or whatever he's Yeah, saying. you're like, man. For the pleasure of the one we serve. You. Like we were rooting for you. We all were rooting for you. Yeah, yeah. They had us in the first half, couldn't I? <laughs> And the camera pans down and we see Cordelia also passed out laying next to the bed, which not that we really had any hope that Cordelia would help very much, but it's still a little unnerving to see Cordelia, who's also very strong, passed out. She must have been like really fast too, because we only saw her in that beginning scene and then Buffy was by herself standing for a long time. Hey, really, really weird. Richard's last name is Anderson and Callie's last name is Anderson. Like... David Greenwald wasn't being very creative when he was giving last names to these people. Because <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, is Callie his sister? And maybe she is, but that would be really sketchy to like s- sacrifice your own sister. Ooh, I don't think so. But I also feel like they would have exposed that. Like while she's like chained up in the room, be like, oh yeah, like Richard, we are family. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. She's been missing for over a week and Giles keeps wanting to call Buffy and Willow is trying so hard to cover for her without like outright lying. Well, she was like, you should call Angel. He was there when the, when the bracelet was found. Yeah. Which like quick thinking Willow. She's trying. Like I really give her props because like Xander was the one who was like, oh, you know, Buffy, you should stay home and blah, blah, blah. And like not helping, but like Willow's the one who's like trying to help, trying to be on her side, even though she doesn't necessarily agree with it. Yeah, no, I agree. But I mean, it's hard because you can see Willow being very conflicted because she doesn't like the lying. She doesn't like um, the fact that Buffy's going to hang out with these guys. And she, I think deep down knows that it's very dangerous and wrong. And yet she's trying to cover for her. Mm -hmm. What a friend. Um, The guys mock Xander and throw him out of the frat. And he's like, wait a minute. No, like my friend, she's still in there. And so, okay, I'm going to give Xander a lot of credit because instead of just going home, he sticks around and like does snooping and sees Cordelia's car. Yeah. No, I give him lots of credit for this episode. Like he like, even though he might have gone to the party for like ulterior motives, I do believe part of him was there to protect Buffy as well. And he decided to stick around. And when they were kicking him out, he could have been like, I mean, focused on his pain and been like, man, they really humiliated me. And like, I really want to get out of here. He was like, wait, my friend's still inside. How do you know where Buffy is? And then decided to go dig around for a cloak and then go back in to see if she was okay. Like he did a lot. Yeah, no, he really did. I just keep thinking about imagine if this show was, you know, 
made today, how much simpler things would be where they could just call each other. Cause he could have just called Giles and been like, Hey, something's up. Instead he has to like, just hang out and wait around. <laughs> yep. I think it makes like this show a lot more enjoyable just because they had to go through a lot harder stuff. Uh, I mean, it gave them the same outcome, but it took them a lot longer to get there because they'd have to um, research with physical books, which would take hours. And you see a little bit of that, like when um, Willow's looking up the database for, um, I keep forgetting her name, Kayla. Callie. <laughs> I'm keeping this in here, Tabby. Don't do it. No, I cannot remember her name. Poor girl. I mean, she didn't die, so it's not like I have to remember her name. But Yeah, thanks, Sally, but Callie. So then once again, we see the guys cutting more diamonds into their skin for unknown reasons. Maybe they this is part of their ritual. I don't know. Looks painful. <laughs> and I don't want to be a part of this frat no. cult, whatever no, it is. Part of me. <laughs> Buffy, Callie, and Cordelia, who that's a mouthful, are chained to the ceiling. And Callie says, one of them is different than the other, nicer. He's the one to watch out for. We all know it's Tom. And I think it's interesting that they put that in there because – there is this trope of nice guys aren't the bad ones, you know? And I think that you can't always tell. Sometimes the nice guys are the most self-serving, you know? And I also like, I just like how brave Cordelia is. You can give her crap all you want, but I love the fact that she's like literally in a like dangerous like position and she's still like yelling at them like, hey, what's going on? Like she really has no <laughs> fear. And I just kind of love it. Like, see, I didn't. Like that, she was like, "Who's first? I'm like, "Girl, stop saying that because they're gonna pick you." But like, she's just, she just is so brave. Like she doesn't care. She's like, "Who's first? I gotta know. If it's me, I gotta prepare." Like it's just very funny. Like if it was me, I'd be so like cowardly in the corner. I'd be like, "I'm not saying a word. If I'm last, if I'm first, I'll find out." Like I'm not going to. I like I'm gonna trick their mind into thinking I'm not here. Also, why did Tom want Buffy to be last? I feel like I'd want to watch her die first. I think that he has this weird like obsession with her, and so he like, wants mm -hmm. to see her die last because he deems her as most important. Ew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he thinks the snake will really like her. Oh, <laughs> <The> <laughs> Uh, I hate I hated those words as they came out of my mouth. <laughs> I was like, ew, why did I say that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I was correct, but it sounded really gross as I was saying. Ooh, it. it sounds like you're trying and to And then in else. the library. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. We have uh, I want to give Willow a standing ovation yes. for this speech. She just like is so subtly telling them off in the kindest way ever. You know, she has to tell them, unfortunately, that, you know, Buffy is in the frat house. Right. And she waits until she knows Buffy's in danger, too. It's not yeah, like she's not just like snitching on her, but she's like very sweet because like you can see both of them are like hurt or offended. Well, Dad's like, she lied to me. Angel's like, did she go with someone? Yeah. And like you see Willow just being like, Angel, she only went there because you brushed her off. And then Giles, like, of course she went because you've been working her so hard and she's only 16 and she's going on 40 because you're stressing her out. And so she's like, shame on you both. And then she's just kind of like, all right, let's go find them. Well, and she's like, and you, you're going to live forever. You don't have time for a little coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at the end, she's like, all right, that didn't make me feel better. Let's go. <laughs> I also love that she's like looking at Angel's lack of a reflection is like, Angel, how do you shave? <laughs> She's like caught up in like way lesser important things. Uh, but well done, Will. I think that she just, I think there's a time and a place for 
this sounds awful, but there's a time and a place for ratting out your friend when they are in danger, when you feel like they're making an unwise decision. And I think that Willow did the best that she could, but ultimately had to make a judgment call. Yeah, I agree. No lie is worth your friend's life. Absolutely not. Yep. Um, Xander sees Cordelia's car, realizes something funky is up, and then that's when he goes dumpster diving for the weird cult (laughs) costumes, which who threw away their cult costume? (laughs) That seems like really shoddy cult membership. They had like a sign up sheet be like, what size are you for the cult? (laughs) Like, this one's an extra large. (laughs) I just threw a large. God. (laughs) (laughs) Throws it away. I just, uh, I asked her a small, and this is way too large. It's like a privileged child that gets everything yeah. his whole life. <laughs> his anger issues are coming out. He's like, cloak. my dad did not sacrifice 50 women when he was in college <laughs> like this. Supposed to make a brown. Yeah. How long was his dad in college for? 50 women. <laughs> That's true. If it's once a year, he was busy. Like women. Oh, if you think about it, like, depends on how many they're sacrificing each year they're three three this year oh three year okay. <laughs> yeah none of my jokes will be mathematically correct i'm warning you now <laughs> that is okay um uh, yeah so then we get a information dump makita gives them wealth and power they are a cult they give offerings every year <laughs> tom drops the stones down into the cavern they? some kind of cold or something we're like cordy girl <laughs> Of course. Well, you know, Courtney was like, um, I'll wear the costume if I get a cool car. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. My baby girl, look around you. Read the room. Yeah. Tom drops the three stones down into the cavern and they all kneel while calling to Makita, which I don't understand why they would be kneeling. As kind of lame as a lizard person this is, the graphics this one are actually way better than any episode I've seen to this point. Well, it's an actual costume. I've yeah. seen it in like behind yeah. the scenes. But even still, like it looks way more realistic than what they've had in the past. Yeah. Well, okay. So funny that you mentioned that, Leah, because Tom was actually supposed to get eaten by the serpent thing at the very end, but they were not able to do it because they couldn't get the CGI to look right for this. And Actually, they really wanted to make Makita a reoccurring villain. But again, CGI was a problem. And so they Thank didn't. goodness they didn't. I mean, I'm not going to lie, but like, they're way better villains than a lizard. Oh, yeah. I agree. He'd be really boring. And he villain. also was like, wasn't he like attached to the, the tunnel? Well, and that was my other point. So Makita is supposed to look specifically phallic. Um, and... <laughs> There's a reason he. I <laughs> didn't know what that meant. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, she face. She was like, "What do you mean?" And then it like dawned on her. <laughs> oh, sweet baby girl. <laughs> well, Sarah, when you made that joke about like the snake is gonna like her, I was like, oh. "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we got it." <laughs> There's a reason why he comes up out of the cavern. Why he's like. Standing there erect in front of them, like it's very. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm I'm very glad they didn't bring him back. Wow. Also, Lee, I think they drugged them for the reptile. Oh, yes. I'm fully aware. I'm following. I'm just saying it's gross. Well, okay. And so there's, I mean, there's a lot of symbolism there. He's also attached to the fraternity. So it's the idea that they are, yeah, they're one and the same. And, Uh, Oh, gross. <laughs> I thought he wasn't going to be reoccurring because I did not want to see that image all the time. Uh, of just like this penis yes. thing. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's so gross. Anyway. Can we just leave it to this one episode? <laughs> like, who's closest to Moloch? <laughs> oh, what's his name? Wait, whose name? The lizard dude. Oh, Makita. Moloch is from my robot, you, James. So, yeah. Ah, same thing. <laughs> Which, fun fact, they named him Makita. Well, David Greenwald named him Makita and thought he was being so clever about it and then found out that Makita is the name of one of the software that they were using. And so he, like, got some subliminal messages and thought he was being so original. And, yeah. yeah. That's anyway. funny. All right. So – they talk about how he likes their offerings um, the 10th day of the 10th month and they become rich. And then Giles, Willow, and Angel show up, find Xander dressed like a frat boy. They fill each other in. And I love that Angel has his game face on. Yeah. They say, oh, um, the frat guys are still in there. Oh, and they have the girls. And then like the only thing uh, Angel's like centered in on, he's like, with Buffy. And, and he's, he's like, vampire. yeah, he's like, I'm ready now. Did you guys catch it? Xander like almost gave Angel a compliment. Like it was this yeah. close. He's like, that guy you want to party with. I was like, Xander. Wow. Right. Exactly. All right, so Buffy baits the monster to attack her, trying to keep him away from Cordelia or um, Callie. I was like, what's her name? <laughs> Thanks, Tabby. <laughs> My bad. And Tom hits her and tells her not to speak, which I think, again, is symbolic of you're just a pretty face. Don't talk. And then, okay, Xander knocks and is like, um, I got locked taking out the trash. <laughs> <laughs> I like how like the drug dude is like, oh, like this happens often. <laughs> I know. He got locked out in his robe taking out the trash. And then he goes, uh, they need me for the uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy probably bought it because he dug that thing out of the trash. So he probably smelled like trash. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the guy says, come on in. And he immediately, again, props to Xander. He immediately punches the frat guy. And then I love how he just grabs his fist and is like, ouch, that hurt. And meanwhile, you know, Angel's wailing on everybody and not even flinching. Mm -hmm. So Tom hears the guys upstairs, um, knows that something's happening, sends the rest of the boys upstairs. Xander jumps on top of somebody's back and is hitting them and is like, that's for the wig. That's for the bra. And that's for the last 16 and a half years. <laughs> and I will say, like, props is in her. Like, yeah. he's holding his own. Right. He's wailing on this dude. Yeah. And seriously, I mean, obviously, I think Xander has some issues. And, I mean, he knows he does. But I I think that we're seeing some growth from him. And I think that it's a little encouraging, you know? I like that even though Xander and Giles and Angel um, and Willow are all kind of, like, fighting you know, the good fight upstairs. Like, I like the fact that Buffy breaks free, gets loose, and is actually the one who, like, beats up all the guys downstairs and defeats, you know, the penis monster. Because, like... (laughs) 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 I couldn't remember his name! Oh, no! (laughs) He has a name, you know, Leah? And he's not even blonde. You need to remember his name. (laughs) all that to be said like i like the fact that buffy is the one who defeats him (laughs) and all the other guys (laughs) because like it's super empowering that she didn't need anyone like she defeated them alone well they all came in like even though she was kind of like really 
down in this episode. I like the fact that no one helped her when she killed the reptile boy yeah. because she sat there and she was like wailing on him and she ends up killing him. And it's like she was in such a sucky situation, but yet she was the only one who could take him down and she did and she didn't need anyone. And I think that's so awesome. Yeah. And I think you can kind of see on like Angel's face. He's like low key impressed, but also like just happy she's okay. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like if it was any other show, they would have had Buffy the damsel in distress and they would have had Angel and Xander and Giles and Willow be the ones that rescued her. And I really love that Buffy took the power back and she was the one that beat the bad guy. Like I just, yeah, she would have done it. Yeah. Also, I love Willow reporting from the basement door. She knows she can't fight. So she's just like, oh, um, there's a giant like snake thing in the basement. <laughs> yep. Um, and then, oh yeah, then everybody goes down the stairs and you see Angel like pause and just like backfist somebody right before he goes down. Oh, I know, I saw that. <laughs> and when, when they get down there, you just have Cordelia being like, oh my gosh, you, you saved, saved us. us. And goes to like, goes straight past Buffy and hugs only Angel. I really hate you guys. She's like, you guys, I just hate you guys. I I also want to talk really fast. Like when Buffy grabs Tom and he is yelling at her, she says, Tom, you talk too much. And I think that that, again, after him hitting her and saying like, no more talking, she was kind of, it's the same thing with the master when she says, I may be dead, but I'm still pretty. She takes their words and she kind of throws it back in their face. And I love that. Um, and then you have that really sweet moment between Giles and Buffy and she says, I told one lie and I had one drink and he goes, and you were nearly devoured. <laughs> she says, I'm sorry. And he says, I drive you too hard because I know what you have to face from now on. No more pushing, just an inordinate amount of nudging. <laughs> oh, sweet. <laughs> yeah. It's precious. And I think kudos to Giles for recognizing that and being willing to faced up to that. I feel like it would be way too easy to just say, well, Buffy, you were being stupid. Look what happens, blah, blah, blah. But he knows. He knows that she feels that, you know? Um, Hey, like, Jonathan's back. Remember the guy that kissed or almost kissed the Inca mummy girl? We find out his name. He's like, it cuts to the bronze and you see Jonathan at the bar and he's getting Cordy a drink. Poor Jonathan, always looking for affirmation. (laughs) And then he walks up and hands it to her. And then Cordy walks up to the gang and she says, young men are the only way to go. (laughs) We'll see how long that lasts. And Xander's reading the newspaper and apparently they found bones in the cavern dating back 50 years. And since then, there have been IRS raids, suicides in the boardroom. And it seems like a lot of people that went to that college um, we're still profiting after that, and an entire network came crumbling down. Which again, it's a metaphor for toxic masculinity everywhere outside yeah. of fraternities. But there was also a chain of people who were outside of the fraternity who were once in there. So, like when they took care of the physical building and everything that happened with that, then it's like the chain kind of started crumbling. Yep. Yep. Well, they also weren't making sacrifices anymore. Mm-hmm. So since the sacrifice fell through right. and the you know dude died, mm-hmm. then like whatever magical ability he had or demonic. Yeah, not taken away. It's also symbolic for when you're able to get one person, it all kind of combusts, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Will tells Buffy about how worried Angel was for her, which I'm like, what a good friend. She's like reporting back all the things. So cute. And then Xander's like, Angel, Angel, Angel. Does every conversation have to come back to him? Hey, how you doing, bud? Like Angel just like appears right over his shoulder. Like, ah, whatever. He yeah. knows how I feel about I him. think they both kind of don't care. Like, yeah. Angel doesn't care that Xander doesn't like him. Xander doesn't care that Angel doesn't like him. So they both are just kind of like, hey, 
Yeah. And then Angel's like, Buffy. And then Buffy's like, Angel. And Xander goes, Xander. (laughs) (laughs) I just like how he's like, I heard this place serves coffee. I thought you might want to get some sometime. And so it's like just very sweet. Like he's listening to Buffy and Willow and he's like, you know what? I want this too. Yeah. Yeah. Sometime. And then just like gets up and like walks away and smiles. It's just very sweet and like kind of full circle. Not full circle yet because it's only the second season. But like I just think of like in the Angel episode where they're talking and they kind of finish each other's sentences, which is kind of like he's like, oh, it feels. And she goes, painful, I know. And then they have to walk away from each other. And then this one, she walks away, but she's like smiling because she knows this isn't over. Mm. Whereas the other one, she feels like this is over. And so she's kind of like a sweet moment, in my opinion. Well, I think more than that, too, the fact that she says, when I'm ready, I think it's no longer her like, hey, hey, see me, see me, see me. And she's kind of becoming comfortable with Buffy and coming a little bit more into her own. And I think, yes, she cares for him very much, but I think she's also a little bit more content to wait for the right time. I also think she's showing him that she's an adult and that like she's ready to make a decision. And when she does make that decision, then then she's like, that means that she's made the decision and stuff. Right. I worded that really poorly. No, totally. Ah, I mean, it just has so many great moments. I think there's like, you're seeing the progression of Buffy and Angel's relationship. You're watching Xander mature. You're watching Willow become confident. You're watching Buffy and Giles's relationship too. I think that it's just, it's a really good episode when it comes to character development. I think, I know we say that every single time because what episode isn't, um, but yeah. I really, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it. I think that just overall, it's just, it's just a good watch and it's very fun and enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. So guys, that was Reptile Boy. We want to know what you think. Did you see the Makita dude as a reference for a phallic image or what? <laughs> no, we talked what about it enough. <laughs> but what other metaphors did you notice um, we want to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram at Becoming Buffy Podcast, where we often have good conversations on our posts. You can DM us. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Let us know, guys. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, stay tuned for our Scooby Secrets coming next. And we will see you guys next time. Hi, Scoopies. Welcome back to our spoiler-filled section, Scooby Secrets. If you were just listening to our non-spoiler section, just a preface, um, this is our spoiler-filled section where we'll be talking about everything in Buffy, so everything you don't want to hear if you haven't seen the show, and then everything on the show Angel as well. So if you haven't seen Angel and don't want to know spoilers, just hop off right now and we'll see you next week. But if you're here and you want to listen, we're happy to have you. Yep. Oh, this episode is... Very interesting. Unfortunately, I feel like this one doesn't have a ton of like super major foreshadowing, but I feel like this some of the stuff that I did have, I was very like, hmm, that's interesting. There's a lot of foreshadowing of Buffy and Angel's relationship and of Angel mm. becoming Angelus. I think it's interesting that it's very clear they knew where they were going from the beginning yeah. of the season. They're definitely building up. Well, at this point, Joss thought that Angel was just going to die and like leave at the end of the season. Yep. Um, wait, so right off the bat, when 
uh, Callie, right? Yes, it's Callie. Callie was like jumping out the window and being chased. I got like huge vibes from like the potentials in season seven. And there's that girl and where in the world was she in? Oh, the beginning of season seven. I think she might be in Tokyo. Yeah, it's some like some obscure place. I don't remember where, but and then it goes into like a montage of like different potentials being like tracked down and killed. And I just got like huge vibes from that. She was like mm-hmm. being chased. And people like in um, monk costumes, she was like running out from like the window and like, I don't know. It just like uh, for a second, I was like, oh, we're already here. And then I was like, oh, wait, no. We're already here. <laughs> we skipped almost all the seasons right to the end. <laughs> You're like 2020 has been so long. We went through all six seasons of Buffy already. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. I thought it was interesting. The frat house looks very similar. I don't think it is the same house, but it looks very similar to Glory's house in season five. Oh. Really? I actually thought it kind of looked like the the house that Riley and his, his, gang. his gang or whatever <laughs> stayed in. No, it's not the same house, but it does lead you to think, okay, is this Sunnydale, like the Sunnydale Community College or whatever? Is that where this frat is located? That's true. Because there would be two colleges in Sunnydale then, which it's not big enough for that, I don't think. I don't know. With how much is in Sunnydale, I would not be surprised if they had just like tons and tons and tons of colleges and high schools and all that stuff. Sunnydale seems as big as Los Angeles at this point. I feel like we analyze the landscape of Sunnydale every episode because it just keeps getting more confusing. I guess it just doesn't really make sense just because it's like... Okay, we want to know the biggest thing that doesn't make sense about Sunnydale? Sure. Okay. So we know Sunnydale is landlocked because in the finale of season seven, you see all of Sunnydale collapse into the crater and there's no water surrounding it. So how is there a harbor for a ship where Angel's going to take off? Oh, what the heck? Did they say that in Sunnydale? I mean, how could it not be? Because they they have no problem traveling there like twice in one night. I always assumed that it was like way out of the way, like an hour or so out of the way. But we go to that harbor multiple times in the show. like And surprise. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's just interesting. And I also think that Cordelia, like we've talked about before, I think Cordelia thinks that Sunnydale is smaller than it actually is and just said, oh, it's really small. And it's not just because it's not maybe Los Angeles big. Yeah. Well, I mean, in her mind, Sunnydale isn't offering her the things that she needs to be offered. So it's small. Yeah, that is true. I will say, speaking of Cordelia in this episode, not only is she just very harsh to Xander, but- there's the first like jab that she kind of makes at him at the beginning of the episode. She makes like a comment about him not going to college because Sanders' whole like identity crisis towards the end of season three and in season four is the fact that like he doesn't go to college or, you know, in season three, it's debating on not going to college, not making it in and stuff and how he just kind of struggles with feeling lesser than or you know, just struggles with his identity and who he is and what it means to kind of be a part of the gang and stuff. And so I think that it's really interesting that you see it affect him this early on when he's still very much in high school and has not even considered college that a part of him kind of knows like, yeah, that's not for me. Yeah. I also think it's interesting that they have the whole thing where he's dressed up, has the wig and the makeup and all that stuff. And obviously that wasn't his choice, but it's funny because 
you, what you're saying reminded me that in season four, when he sees Buffy, he was supposed to go on that road trip before coming back and mm-hmm. his car ended up breaking down some remote town. And in order to be able to get the money to pay for his car, he had to be either a stripper or an exotic dancer or something <laughs> in a club. Hey, I mean, good for him for working hard. Whatever yeah. you got to do to get the money. And I mean, it clearly works because yeah. he made it back. Yeah. I also wanted to talk about when Buffy's talking about the angel dream that she had, she said surround sound. I think it's interesting because they show in amends that she and Angel, their dreams often kind of intersect. Yep. Yeah. And they end up having sex in their dreams and they both kind of feel like it's surround sound. I think that part of that is because she's a slayer. She can kind of like have more power over like her dreams and – Well, they're usually premonitions because, I mean, this one, they're talking about her sleeping with him and there's a lot of foreshadowing and him talking about how he's dangerous for her and that ends up actually happening in this season too. Also, all of the burns that Cordelia makes about Xander, it – is very mean and stuff, but it's very interesting when they do actually get together later on in the season, how you see why Cordelia is so embarrassed to be with him because she has publicly humiliated him and made fun of him. And now she has to be seen with him. And that's why I truly believe Cordelia actually did love Xander because she gave up everything to be with him. I really think that Cordelia loved him for multiple reasons, but like one of them was just like, you could really see the love mm. like that she had for him. Like you saw her soften towards him. You saw her kind of just like slowly stop caring very much what people thought about her. And you really saw her towards the end, like really let her guard down, which is why it hurts so much when he cheats on her is because like you really have seen her mold into this person very vulnerable with him. And so the fact that she gets hurt after all of that, you're just like, oh, Xander. Well, like Xander does a lot of problematic things during their relationship. And I'm not even just talking about him and Willow. I'm talking about like the way he talks about Buffy in front of Cordy on Mm. several occasions. Even the way he talks to Cordy. Yeah. Or about her. Right. And like old Cordy, if they weren't dating, she'd be like a lot more harsh about it. But she just was very like calm in her responses when he was doing stuff like I remember one scenario and like um when um Faith was there and he talks about like her like um fighting naked and and he she's like Xander pick a different topic you know like things like that where it's like she was a lot more kind about it like I would have been a lot more harsh if my yeah, boyfriend was I'd be like about say that. it continue keep going yeah find out if you're still in a relationship by the end of this but you really see her kind of just be more like She softens a little bit. She softens because she is in love and she truly cares about him. And she becomes less bitey with the words. Like She doesn't become less truthful, but she becomes a little kinder in the way that she says things and not as hurtful. Yeah. I mean, unless we're talking about homecoming, then (laughs) he is very sweet Like when it comes to Xander in the episode. Her and Buffy definitely tend to butt heads. But yeah, that that cute scene in the abandoned house. And she's like, see how he really grows on you. (laughs) Cute. Yeah. And I think it makes a lot of sense why she becomes kind of her old self in season three after she finds that Xander and Willow cheated on her um, because she's incredibly hurt. And I think I know that her leaving the show was simply because they wanted her on Angel. But I really think that that was such a smart decision for her character because then she was able to grow and start over. And it feels like it's so consistent with the Cordelia character. Like she would not have stayed in Sunnydale. And I honestly think that if they had kept her in Sunnydale and stuff, 
then they would have like one, I think they would have tried to make the relationship between Cordelia and Xander happen again. And then I think that mm. it would have been just like crappy for her character because like, you know, she had to go through at least a year of a crappy relationship to get to one that actually cared about her. Even if it did end up, you know, not toxic in the end, I just think that it, her character deserved more than that. I think that her character would have kind of been ruined for me if she stayed on the show. There was not much more for her to grow on Buffy. I was about to say that too, Leah. Like, I think that being a part of the Scoobies for a little bit kickstarted her growth a little bit, but I think that. Well, first of all, if we really think about each character individually, she doesn't really have a close bond with any of them. She's friends with them, but like her and Buffy clash a ton. Um, her and Willow don't ever talk. I don't think that either yeah. of them like each other. And then her and Xander had a relationship, and I don't think that that would have been healthy for them to be around each other. And then her and Giles is just her and Giles. Yeah. Um, but I think it was like what she needed during the time, but I think her being on Angel was more grounded and more mature and forced her to kind of step up yeah and it also just wouldn't have made sense in general because i've seen yeah like i think one of the things that i don't understand the most about the vampire diaries and i, I talk about the vampire diaries a lot it's only because it's like the only other vampire show that i've seen so i just connect the two but one thing that never made sense to me is that there would be these couples that are like oh my gosh you're the love of my life and then they would break up and then they would just like stay in the same friend group or the same like town. And, and then a season just, like, later, they make jokes about how they were dating. Exactly. And, it doesn't bother them. and they're like yeah. dating their best friend or something. And I understand like when you're in high school and stuff, you move on. But I would never be caught dead in a friend group <laughs> with like the, you know, quote unquote, love of my life. Like that'd be just too painful if Cordelia had stayed around. And let's say they didn't even have her date or whatever it just would have felt weird i think it just honestly would have been kind of toxic because i think that she, she kind of might have become a little bit better because she was in sunnydale and she was still with them and her and xander aren't together and he's dating other people she's dating other people i just think it would not have meshed at all and i think i agree with Yulia. i think i would have liked her less i think we had a good amount of time with her in high school we got to see cordy in high school and then if you hop over and watch angel you get to see her grow much more which i think was the best choice for her mm-hmm yeah, and I mean, who knows what the writers would have planned because I know Joss was planning on bringing Cordelia and Angel back if Angel flopped. So I'm sure they would have figured some sort of story out or whatever, but I think for what they did, it worked very well. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, the Buffy writers always find a way to surprise me and work things out. So I'm sure that it would have been fine in the end. I just think that both of them moving on their own show was the best thing to happen for both of their characters. Yeah. And that they both needed to go through what they did. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of the episode that, <laughs> that I was so shook by when I first watched Angel in the first season where um, Cordy like sleeps with a guy for the first time and he seems really nice. He's oh, at a party. Yeah. <laughs> and then she ends up getting impregnated by aliens. But besides yeah, I that. I hate that that's like a common theme in the show. It's like random like mystical pregnancies yeah you mean it on angel not on buffy i don't think there's any mystical pregnancies on buffy sure i just kind of associate them both yeah, so. there's literally three on angel three yeah yeah what's the third one Darla. Darla, cordelia. and then cordelia again twice oh <laughs> walked out all of season four i did i literally did wow <laughs> that sucks dang poor charisma carpenter yeah 
But anyway, it reminds me of this episode too because it's like the suave, really sweet. I'm I'm different and I have feelings. And then they fall for them and then, you know, sleep with them and yep. then something happens. Yep. yep. But- All right. Let's talk about the scene between Buffy and Angel with the whole, this isn't some fairy tale. When I kiss you, you don't want to wake up from a deep sleep. No, when you kiss me, I want to die. Because how foreshadowing is that? I just think of um graduation where he is like draining her. Yep. That that scene always just kind of takes me immediately there because it just kind of like it's pain. That scene is painful, but then it's also just like it's a metaphor for the, her sexual desire for each other. She desires him as a man. He desires her as a man desires a woman, but he also desires her as a vampire wanting that blood, that bloodlust. And yeah, so, yeah. like, and that's why in that scene you have you know Buffy orgasming, but then you also have her cry, like the tear that comes out of her eyes because she's. Mm-hmm dying essentially in that moment and it's like she's at what's the word she's at her most fulfilled but then she's also like i don't know it's just an interesting like comparison or juxtaposition of desire and death you know what i mean Ooh, did you hear that desire and death we've talked a lot of a lot of sexual stuff in this one weird sexy episode like (laughs) well i mean i was talking about the the penis monster too but you know yeah it all goes together though. But I mean, like vampirism has been pretty notably used in conjunction with sexuality, like Dracula, all that stuff. Like it's very much talking about our inner sexual desires to on top of and in comparing it to animalistic tendencies. I'm getting all meta. So Cordelia says to Xander that he could belong to the fraternity of rich and powerful men in the bizarro world. And in The Wish, She says she refers to it as the bizarre world. And in that world, Xander is actually rich and powerful because he's a vampire. Mm -hmm. Ah. I thought that was kind of cool. I love The Wish. There are so many things that they like reference in there. Oh, I love The Wish. Um, And then the last thing that I wanted to say is, so when Giles talks about purpose and commitment and asks Buffy how many people her age can say that, she says none. But then in season seven, the episode Potential – She talks to the potentials and says that although most people don't have a reason why they exist, um, the potentials or slayers do have a reason. They have a mission and it's what sets them apart from everybody else, which I love that it goes full circle and it shows growth in Buffy's part because she's actually kind of uh, taken on what Giles has said. And she also now kind of believes very differently um, than she did when she was a high schooler. It's kind of cool growth. Yeah, it is growth because, okay. All right. So a little tangent here on the Buffy Facebook page that I follow, there was a huge discussion the other day about how someone said that they did not like Buffy as a character and they thought that she was whiny and that she was, um, I don't know how you be a fan of the show. Yeah. No one. I don't know how you can be a fan of the show and not like Buffy because if you don't like Buffy, I honestly don't know how you can like the show because it's all about Buffy. Because some some shows you can like not like the main character and still get away with liking the show, but the whole show is about Buffy. Yeah, it's a it's a semi ensemble show, but it's still very much about Buffy. Yeah, but also like, did we watch the same show? Like, how do you not like Buffy? Yeah, they thought she was entitled. She was bratty, whiny. Um, and they said they like her sometimes, but they don't like her in others. And I mean, like, that's fair. I think Buffy is not meant to be likable all the time. Look at when she was bad. But the thing is, is that. 
Um, one of their main points was that Buffy as a character doesn't really grow in the seasons, which I'm like, I highly disagree because maybe she doesn't have an arc like Willow, for instance, but she definitely is very different person by the time she gets to season seven than when she was in season one. Yep. And I think one of the biggest things that kind of launches her character, like forward is Dawn. Mm -hmm. I think that that's really what changes Buffy is like needing to be the caretaker for Dawn, especially when Joyce dies, like Buffy is really forced to grow up and she's forced to kind of like be there for Dawn. And I really don't see Buffy in the first season being able to do what Buffy in season six and five did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just the fact that she, I mean, well, one, she was incredibly burdened by season seven and I think worn out and burnt out. But then mm-hmm. but she also like took the responsibility of all of these girls and of saving the world very seriously. And that's what she needed to do from season one. Season one, you see her like not accepting her role at all. Season seven, she goes so far to accepting it to the point where like she can no longer or she at least has trouble relating to the people around her. And so I think that there is like a balance there and I don't know. It's just kind of cool. So anyway, I just disagree with that person's opinion so much, but that's yeah. okay. We all have our opinions and that's fine. Some of them can be wrong. <laughs> I won't say who's is who. Well, um, I was very triggered by it. And Andrew like saw me on my phone. I was like, he was like, what happened? And I told him, he was like, whoa, is that person still alive now? <laughs> Cause I was like, we're going off. <laughs> I think that a lot of times, like it's really easy to bag on the main character because yeah. like, if your main character is not made like perfectly the way that you want them to be, it's so easy to be like, they're annoying. They're, they're too powerful. They're too um, like emotional. They're too, you know, they're not emotional enough. Like it's so easy to bag on characters, but I just feel like Buffy was just made to be so realistic. Mm -hmm. Like that's how any girl who was had to be like a slayer from 16 years old would react but she also had so much pressure on herself like the slayer itself has to kind of like what she said in so many episodes mostly in season seven where she's like i am the law of demons like at the end of the day i'm the one who has to do it so i have to make the decision and yet she was still kind she was still empathetic she was still strong and yes she made many many mistakes but like if I were in that situation, I would not have handled things as gracefully as she did. Yeah. And she was like, I don't know. That's just the beauty of the character of Buffy because she's encompassed by so many human aspects along with her Slayer aspects. And she meshes them so well. And if she was fully a Slayer, we would not like her as much or want to watch her. And if she was fully human and didn't really want to accept the Slayer side of her, we wouldn't see the power in her. So it's like unfair of people to put this unrealistic expectation on her as a character. And again, she makes a lot of mistakes, but I genuinely think she's like one of the best main protagonists in shows that I've ever seen. Like I genuinely like her character and I can't say that a lot about the main characters. I usually tend to like the um, supporting characters a little bit more, but in this one, like Buffy's like one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's interesting because a psychologist actually or a therapist uh, responded to that and went on to say about how 
Um, when someone is given so much responsibility at such a young age, you typically see that um, the guy in from conversations with dead people, and he says you have a superiority complex and you have an inferiority complex about it, and essentially saying mm-hmm. that she knows that in a lot of ways because she's chosen. She's like, oh, I'm special. I'm set apart. But then it's also on the other hand, she's like, oh, but woe is me. I have to do all this stuff because I'm chosen and special, like, and I don't want to be, you know. Mm-hmm. So. He did kind of – Holden is his name. He did kind of hit the nail on its head in that. And I think the therapist was saying that that is classic when someone who is so young is given so much responsibility. Typically, the way that you ease that is you say, hey, you are not responsible for all of this. Relax. Like, let it go. But with Buffy, you can't because she literally is the only person that can do that. So, of course, she's going to continue to experience this and still have the superiority slash inferiority complex. Um, and that's why we see her so burnt out by the time you get to season seven because she's carrying the weight of the world and humans aren't meant to carry it for that long. And usually slayers don't live that long, you know? So anyway, I thought that was really interesting and it's kind of like a cool little insight into Buffy's character development through the seasons. Okay. So the last thing is, what do you guys think Dawn would be doing in this episode? Because I don't think that she'd be in this episode. Well, I mean, they don't really show Joyce and they, they bear, I mean, they barely show Joyce. No, they don't show Joyce at all. I was just saying the way that I view it is that if Joyce is not in the episode, I don't think that Dawn would be in the episode. Well, there's a couple of episodes where we're like, yeah, Dawn would be in this one. But because it's a fraternity, like Dawn is not going to be at the library late doing books and stuff. And she's definitely not going to be with Xander at the fraternity. So I think that Dawn wouldn't be in this episode. Yeah, so. I agree. Hopefully next episode will get a much better role for Dawn. Um, well, that's it for our Scooby Secrets, guys. Let us know if you think Dawn would be in this episode and what she would be doing. And you guys can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram at becomingbuffypodcast. We'd love to hear from you guys if there's anything that we missed, any foreshadowing. And let us know, what do you guys think about the character of Buffy? Is she your favorite protagonist um, in terms of other TV shows or do you find her annoying? I don't know. I'm curious what the general population of Buffy thinks about her simply just because there are so many other characters to choose from but yeah let us know and as always guys we will see you next week bye